following is a presentation of the Belly Up Sports Media Network. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Up Tempo Podcast. I'm your host, Dustin Smith, joined as always by my guy, Blake Lane. And he's back again, ladies and gentlemen, Ike Jones from the War Report. Ike, how you doing tonight, buddy? Hey, man, I am good. Glad to be back in here with you guys. Yes, sir. Glad to have you, Blake. How are you, brother? In there, man. Uh, glad to be here. Ready to ask Ike all types of questions, man, <laughs> all across the Auburn athletics. Yeah, Ike, we just finished up the uh, we just finished up doing our baseball review for the regional. Uh, tough one, man. Tough one for the Tigers. Two and barbecue, as they say. I know you guys kind of let off uh, your show yesterday just talking about it. Your overall thoughts on the baseball season, though, man? Uh, listen, um, it ended a lot better than what we anticipated the ending was going to be from the start of the season by just making the postseason, right? Like making the SEC tournament did not look like that was guaranteed, mm-hmm. uh, you know, halfway through the season. Being able to host a regional didn't look like it was gear. Like you, if you ask, I challenge you to find someone who would have said, you know, 15 games into this baseball season, Auburn's making a regional or hosting a regional to show me where that person made that prediction. Right. Mm-hmm. And so to, to get to the place of hosting it, I feel like that team did a lot of good things to get to that position. But, you know, the holes that were existent in the game that uh, Auburn baseball had just showed themselves in, in the regional. Right. And um, mm-hmm. you can't have the defense be as much of a liability as it had been. And, expect to go really far as a team and then your bats don't show up too right like it's just there's there they didn't have a prayer um in that first game against Penn. that that pitcher was absolutely he was dealing um the second game though i feel like they had their opportunities they were just pressing a little too much right and i think the just kind of the moment was really big and at no point in time did they get resettled and understand what kind of got them there which was being patient and you know these are my pitches to hit, uh, and and I'm going to take advantage of those pitches. Um, but some young guys stepped up in some big moments. Ike Irish is real. Like I, I, I mm-hmm. if anybody thought that this was just like, oh, he's, you know, flashing the pan. It was consistent all season, man. The kid can hit. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Chris Stanfield had a little bit of a slump uh, for a portion towards the end of the year, but I, he, though he didn't have a lot of hits in the regional. He had some good at bats, right? Like, and he—he, he, I mean, he almost hit a freaking grand slam, right? Like, he's—he—he he gets a little bit more pop in his bat, man. He's going to be dangerous because he can. Yeah. If he's going to get on base consistently, forget about it, right? Like, he can change momentum of games just because he's dangerous on the uh, on the base pad. But man, if he gets a little more pop in that mm-hmm. bat, bro, like, that's going to be a scary kid because he's got all the tools. But all that to say, Auburn baseball. Good season, not great, but hopefully they'll uh, be able to bounce back for next year. Yep, yep. Yeah, 100%. Well, we got the new uh, new stadium upgrades and all that starting pretty soon, so I'll be fired up for that, man. And I think that overall we're in a good place. It's disappointing because like me and Blake just talked about, um, Butch said it himself, the expectation is to win games in Omaha now. As he said it last year, it's not even just to get there. So right. when you get to host your regional and don't even make it out, it's kind of hard to say that that's not disappointing. But uh, oh, it's, it's I mean to to win like to win nothing, right? Like it's it's yeah. one thing to not get out of the regional; it's a whole other thing to win no games in it. Like yep. it's that's 
That's it's a little disappointing. Not a little disappointing. It's very disappointing as a fan. And I, I'm sure that those young men in that locker room feel the same way that they're super disappointed in how that ended. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it sucks, but the future's bright. So, getting on here to the, uh, we want to get a little basketball. We've just kind of, like I told you off air on this podcast, we've been focused on the baseball. We've kind of held off on the basketball because we wanted to see how it all fell. And I got to mm-hmm. say, dude, like to me, with the transfer portal now, this was just there were so many guys that you were hearing. Okay, the the kid that ended up going back to Vanderbilt comes to mind. You think that this kid's coming in, and then this guy and you, uh, Janai ended up making it pretty interesting going to the the draft and showing out and uh, did a lot better than we even thought we thought he would do. Um, and really, I feel like he kind of got a pay raise if I had to guess. Don't have any inside knowledge there, but uh, right. definitely <laughs> something like that would probably happen. Um, yeah. But now that it's all now that it's all settled, man, uh, kind of where you your overall thoughts on where that roster stands and maybe some strengths and weaknesses. And do you feel like we got better overall? Yeah, uh, I mean, so I'll answer the the last question first. Did we get better overall? I think the answer to that is yes, uh, overall better. Where I think that we have yet, you know, strengths and weaknesses wise to to really understand how well they're going to do. And and listen, Coach Pearl and company have a big task in front of them to figure out what these rotations look like with these young men because. Um, the weaknesses for me for this team are pretty apparent on paper, and that is being able to defend the rim and being able to rebound. Um, I don't know that there are any clear-cut avenues to say we can dominate defensively inside, whether that is rebounding or blocking shots, affecting shots, something like that. Um, as as mm-hmm. good on you know paper when you see like stats as Janai Broom might be in, in block shots – He's not, and it, nobody's Walker Kessler, but just to give you kind of a, a, a comparison, he's not Walker Kessler in the fact that he's going to block a bunch of shots, but he's going to affect that much more. He's not that guy in there defensively as of right now and how he mm-hmm. rotates off the ball and, and being mm-hmm. able to to really make people think twice about it. So we're going to have to figure that out. Dylan Dylan Cardwell's going to have to figure out how to get more minutes or they're going to have to, the coaching staff's going to figure out how to put him in the game more because he, he is a little bit more of a rim protector enforcer on the inside in that way. Um, I didn't see a lot of that in Chaney Johnson's tape from the stuff that I have from him. Um, you're not going to get that from Chad Baker Mazzara, right? He's not really a shot blocker rim protector, right? So they're going to have to figure that portion out. And I think that that's going to be an mm-hmm. obvious weakness where, and why I say though, we did get better is that the basketball in this era is really about being able to put the ball in the hoop, right? Like it's not the lockdown defensive teams. If, if, being able to be a lockdown defensive team was the end all be all Tennessee would have gone further, right? You got to be able to score. Um, And this team can score better than last year's team can on paper, right? Denver Jones. And and why I say better on paper, because you still have to figure out how they're going to play together. But Denver Jones is a shot creator, shot maker, right? Like he can go put the ball in his hand. Everybody get out of my way. Let me go get a bucket. You didn't have, but two guys really on last year's team, two and a half, right? Mm-hmm. But Wendell can he he could do that right? Yep. Uh, KD could do that, and then Flanagan every now and then could do that. But that's pretty much all you had. Janai Broom worked well in the post, but you're not just going to give him the ball at the end of the shot clock and say go get me a bucket. That's just not his game. Mm-hmm. Um, so you had really two and a half late shot clock shot creators. Next year you're going to have like five of them, right? Like you can give the ball 
to Aiden Holloway and say, go get me a bucket. You still got KD on this team. You're going to have Chad Baker Mazar who can go do that. You're going to have um, uh, Denver Jones who can go and do that, right? So you're going to have multiple guys who you can say, put the ball in his hands, clear out, go get me a bucket, and feel pretty good about what the result is going to be on the back end of that. And I think we're just really kind of getting to the cusp of what Trey Donaldson could be for this team. So, um, yeah, offensively should be able to score more, more proficiently from the outside, should have more guys who can create their own shots. You have balance in being able to score on the inside with Jani Broom coming back. Um, I, if, if they struggle offensively, it's going to be because they didn't figure out the rotations and how to keep the right mix of guys on the floor together. So the first couple of weeks of the season may be a little rough until they figure out what that's supposed to look like and who are our best combination of five and who can I play this point guard with, this off guard with, this post player and, you know, all that kind of stuff. You still got Jalen Williams coming back. I didn't even mention him, right? So, again, there's a lot of guys who can go out there and generate buckets for you. So hopefully they'll be able to figure that out. Well, Ike, man, uh, let me ask you this. That's my concern is like foul trouble. If Janai gets in foul trouble, right? Yeah. Yeah, if he gets in foul trouble, there's a problem. Uh, Ike, let me ask you this, man. Uh, real quick, man. Um, the, the the steam around Joe Nye and him possibly going into the draft, how uh, how close was that decision? Uh, because it, it really felt like right before he'd come back that he could possibly uh, leave Auburn. Yeah. I think it's 50-50, man. Like I, I was adamant in saying that it was closer to – I think he, he was a lot – he was leaning closer to leaving than a lot of people would have assumed, even from the very beginning. Uh, but then when he actually was able to go into those draft camps, you know, in the G League camp and, and then the, um, the draft combine camp and actually – play well and show well i think it made it an even tougher decision um if he had gotten an early second round grade as opposed to a late maybe not drafted grade uh you know and a hey offer of a couple of two-way contracts as opposed to hey we're gonna make you a you know end of the bench guy on our team uh he would have gone right um he had that he that was a real possibility for him because he played his way into that position mm -hmm. uh so hopefully this will pay off for him for another season for both Janai and Auburn. And, and we'll see what happens with that. But I, fi I find it difficult to believe that he didn't come back with the understanding that you're going to be the guy for this team and they're going to figure out how to right. feed him this season. Mm. 100%. So I watched, uh, I watched the watching the film that you did on Denver Jones. And I, I had to think about my buddy Blake over here because the main thing that stood out to me was, Finishing at the rim, using that size yeah. to finish at the rim. Yeah. Uh, just something, and you pointed it out, it's no shot at Wendell. We just saw it at times. You get in certain matchups where they just pound that mismatch, right? And we just yeah. can't take advantage of it. Uh, anything else that stood out to you about his game? Yeah, I mean, I, you, you said it. Really the biggest thing for me was his ability to finish uh, through contact and not really even worry about the contact, right? Like mm -hmm. it's the contact was secondary to him. Right. He focused on finishing a bucket. Uh, but the other thing is just his, the pace that he plays with, he doesn't feel like he gets sped up a lot. So, um, there's not, it's going to be interesting to see late game pressure situations. I didn't get any of those from him, uh, because none of the games, it's a regular season game. It means something, but it's not the same as a tournament game. It's not the same as a, you know, playing for a championship type of thing, whether or not 
the urgency is going to be different around him or whether he's going to have that same poise. But he did seem to have a lot of poise and just feel like mm -hmm. not the moment didn't ever really feel big for him. He just kind of felt like, hey, man, let's go. Hoop. Let's go get a bucket. And that's the kind of guys that you want to have on your team. Moments don't dictate how they play. They rise to them. So we'll see what happens with him in that. Now, a situation where athletically more guys are going to be on his level. I think we got better at the free throw line too. Oh, uh, I mean, cross my fingers. I think we got better at the stripe, baby. Well, I mean, so here's the thing: we who who did we lose, right? So let's let's look at that, right? Wendell was a great free throw shooter, right? Mm -hmm. So we're losing a good right. free throw shooter. Uh, Alan Flanagan actually pretty decent free throw shooter. Losing yeah, him, not bad. Not a um, but. You're replacing them with guys who can shoot better or who can shoot well from the free throw line as well. Um, so I don't know that we necessarily got better. The question really about bad free throw shooting was, is Janai going to come back and shoot yeah. free throws better? <laughs> right. He, yeah. I, we don't know the answer to that yet. Um, and whether or not, you know, actually look competent at the free throw line because, you know, he had multiple air balls throughout the season uh, from the free throw line mm -hmm. and, Trey Donaldson in heavier minutes will likely go to the line more often. Is he going to be more consistent from the free throw line? Yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't really know that we got better from the free throw line. I just think that um, because there are multiple guys who can shoot free throws well, that will have a higher usage rate. We probably will get better incrementally from the free throw line, right? Like, yeah, Alan Flanagan didn't have a high usage rate, right? He would get the ball, but he wasn't a guy you were running kind of sets through. Are they going to run some sets through Chad Bicker Mazar? Are they going to run some stuff through um, Denver Jones now, who's a, you know, I think an 80 something percent free throw shooter, right? So is your usage rate for your guys who shoot free throws well going to be higher, which will lead to a higher free throw percentage? And then, of course, Janai Broom needs to be better from the free throw line. If he gets better, then we definitely are better overall. Yeah, so baseball is done, unfortunately. A little bit too early for ever blocking. Basketball has been done. So next up is the moneymaker, dude. And we're all excited to see who frees uh, first season here yeah. on the Plains. I know Blake asked <laughs> questions about the new addition. Oh, I I, I am sorry. Uh, I, I'm sorry to the gymnasties. Don't come after me. I love y'all. <laughs> uh so I I, I want to start this thing off with the new addition, man. The uh, the champ Anthony kid, the JUCO DB commit. Uh, you know, I, I wanted to know what could he bring to this defense this year. Is this a work in progress? I know he still has three years of eligibility left. I know how deep that secondary room is, but why was the main reason that Hugh brought this kid on? Uh, I think it's more because they needed more depth. Um, listen. <clears throat> The one thing that I will give Hugh Freeze, I will never like, he seems to be a master of understanding how to manage a roster mm -hmm. um, because he just, he, he has, he had a very keen understanding of what areas he needed depth in and then going and figuring out how to get quality depth that fit the profile of what he wanted in each of those positions. He's done that immaculately. Um, and so I think what they're looking to do with this kid is have someone who can come in who you feel like is going to be committed to you for a couple of years, get them to learn your system. Uh, he's going to be able physically to compete at this level and not have to worry about um, whether or not he's getting antsy in the transfer portal, right? Like you can bring him in and he sit this year 
and be fine with that. If he plays this year uh, and you need him to play, he can step in and do that. But I don't know that he's going to be a we expect him to come in and play immediately guy. I think he's a guy who uh, break in case of emergency, but he is going to be the next wave of guys that we're going to have in that room. And you have an entire year of developing him in that system. So I think it's a really good get from that standpoint of having a talented person who you can bring in, but somebody who you expect to still be in your coffers next year in case some of the other people in this room decide, Hey, that's not enough playing time for me this year. I'm out. Was Keontae a big part of this and and getting and getting him in here? I think so. I mean, Keontae Scott has already been through the whole JUCO process, transferring up to Auburn um, and an understanding of kind of where the room was already and what things that they needed to be able to do to get better in the system. Um, you know, listen, Keontae Scott, I am I if anybody has ever watched War Report content, I don't make. I don't even apologize for it. I'm a big fan of Keontae Scott. I feel like he's a super talented young man, uh, very well-spoken young man. We just had him on the mm-hmm. program recently. Um, he understands what they're trying to get done and get accomplished, um, and he's a good spokesperson for Auburn, and he definitely, uh, I think, helped get this guy across the finish line. So, um, you know, kudos to him and the other uh, young men that were in the room there helping to kind of sell that vision of what Coach Freeze is trying to bring to the Plains. Um, and they've bought into that vision, and now they can communicate it properly out to others. Well, Ike, I'll kick it over here to Dustin. I know with all the conference realignment, uh, the rivalry games that are apparently going away and rotating and all of that, I know he's got a ton of stuff that he wants to ask you. Yeah. Well, the thing is, is we don't even know how it really fell because they only said we got this one year. We got this one year stopgap and we all know what this is. Let's not bullshit, man. This is about ESPN not having the money for that ninth game. They don't care Mm. about anything else. But I'll just give my opinion on this real quick and kick it over to Ike for his. To me, I want to keep it at eight games for this reason right here, because even though we got our asses drilled, playing Penn State was fun. And if you get the nine games, I don't I don't want to go to Happy Valley as a 10th game, playing nine yeah. SEC games. And to everybody out there, like, I'll just call it out, big game boomer, with your ridiculous tweets about the SEC schedules. <laughs> My guy, look at who we play. Auburn, I was part of the Auburn fans last week bitching because I want LSU, Georgia, and Bama. I want my rivalries because here's the deal. College football is different than the NFL. It just is. And to me, what makes it different is the rivalries because you have, in Brian Harson's first year, an Auburn team that is dead, dead in the water with nothing to play for. And that crowd damn near willed us to victory. Just because of what it meant to the fan base, just be, you're ne- you'll never get in an NFL game what you got versus A and M last year. Uh-huh. This is the emotion that college football brings. I just feel like when you say, "Okay, a game that we've been playing since 1892," yeah, we'll try to get it in there for you. Now, look, I get it, and and I, I hear the other side of it, where you, the people say, "Look." We're going to play them in the SEC title. We'll probably play them in a 12-team playoff. Do we have to play them three times to win the national championship? I understand all that. I I know what happened in 2017. It wasn't fun for me either. But, dude, LSU Florida, it doesn't matter what the record is. Remember when the cat threw the shoe? That game's crazy 
every year. And it and it's it's fun for us. It's fun for the fans. I don't want to see those kind of games go. Like I know I got on my soapbox a little bit, but hey, I just man. love college ball, dude. And to me, that's what it is. Like you can't get rid of Ole Miss versus LSU. You can't. It has to be played every year, bro. Yeah, listen, I am all for the traditional rivalries. Um, you know, it gives you a little something extra to brag about. I understand uh, the portion of the fan base that wants to, and I'm, I actually reside in that portion of the fan base that wants to play some of these other teams more routinely because it's fun to talk junk to all of the SEC fan base. That's one of the things I love about basketball, right? Like we play everybody every year. Yeah. So I get the opportunity to talk junk to every single SEC person, the fan base in every single SEC uh, school. And it means something every single time, right? Because I know we're going to get to see how this plays out on the court. Right. You want to see that play on the field more often than football. But I, I am with you that I would rather be at eight games than nine because, listen, the Penn State, again, we we lost both times, but it was fun to be able like I gained some I won't say friends, but like some really good relationships with Penn State people from us talking junk and having a two back to, you know, back to back year rivalry with them. I got some good relationships out of that. Uh, so I enjoy it. I want to see that continue to happen. And I like to be able to talk about the SEC's dominance and what better way to do that uh, than actually let's let's go play. Right. Like, let's not talk about what we've got in the trophy cases. It's like, OK, well, we we we, we could settle this on the field. Let's see what, what you got. Let's line it up and make it happen. So I want to see that continue to happen. Um, but yes, I'm I'm absolutely in favor of these classic rivalries continuing because whether whether we're on the right side of it or not, I don't want to be in a place where people are saying, "Man, I'm tired of getting beat by them." I need at some point in time we need to be the other side of that where they're like, "Man, we got to play Auburn again, bro." Like, mm -hmm. right? Like that's the place where we need to try to get our program to. I, I'm old enough to remember this. I remember I had a fear of the thumb t-shirt. It's not impossible. It's hard right now with Nick Saban, but my point is that you thought it was impossible with Paul Bear Bryant. Like these things change. Alabama, believe it or not, they're not going to be what they are forever. Like they're not. Georgia's probably locked in for a while. I mean, we'll be honest about that. Kirby yeah, but Georgia was, was dog crap for a while too, right? So. Right. Yeah. And they've beat us, what, 15 out of 18 times. So at some point, we got to turn that around. Like you just said, it's kind of on us, but like just law of averages says that's not going to continue forever. It's going to, it's going to go one way or the other. Um, so that's just important to remember and all that. I'm just not on that camp of like screw the rivalries altogether because then we can't stop the conference expansion. It's going to happen. But what are you going to do when you have a, a, a big 12 that's okay. And then a big 10 and sec that has all the teams. It's just, you can't lose the soul of college football is what I'm getting at. And I think that arrivalries are just a big part of that because do you, do you watch an NFL game that's both teams are four and eight? I don't, I'm only going to watch my team and then a good game, but I will watch a five and six and five uh, Florida state and a five and six Florida play to see if you can go to a crappy bowl game. I'll watch that. Yeah. Yeah. And then that's another yeah, I mean, thing. I, right? I won't watch a crappy egg bowl because who cares about the state of Mississippi? But um, but I will, yeah, to your point, watch uh Clemson slaughter South Carolina, you know, 10 years in a row just because hey, is South Carolina gonna actually win this to get to a bowl? This is interesting, right? Shane Beamer turning that thing around though, buddy. Yeah, yeah. South Carolina's a much better team or program under him. Ike, how 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 excited are you though to actually uh, they're projecting like Texas on Auburn's schedule to have a Texas come to Jordan Hare and then possibly in 2025 
uh, Auburn going to Norman. I mean, how big is that? Uh, and and how excited would you be for that? Yeah, listen, I there, there you know, it, it's the same kind of level of excitement that I had about the Penn State situation of like, oh man, this is a classic, you know, yeah. college football program that we're getting to go head up against. You know, that's not something that we see often. I mean, we yeah. outside of a bowl game, there was very little chance that we were ever going to play Oklahoma or Texas. So the the possibility of us getting that every few years now, super exciting, right? Like I want to be able to do that. Like I I it, we we've just really kind of gotten Texas A&M into the conference over the last decade. I still haven't been to College Station yet. I want to go yeah. experience that, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to try to make that this year. But, you know, we've got to play the teams in order for this to even be a potential reality, unless I'm just going to randomly go to some other game that has nothing to do with my team, which I don't have a ton of interest in that. I just watch it on TV, but like having a stake in that and getting to experience that at the same time, completely different. And I'm looking forward to it. Mm. What do you think it ends? Ike? what do you think it looks like in 25, 26? Uh, you know, I think, I think that we are going to likely stay with eight. Um, I just don't, I mean, listen, I, I don't need fans. And I don't think Greg Sankey really gives a crap what anybody on Twitter or no, uh, he does not. Tim Brando thinks about whether or not the SEC is ducking competition. Like, I don't think yeah. he cares about that. He's like, all right, I, I will duck my way into more, you know, college football playoffs and championships. And who's going to do something about it? Not you and your ridiculous rants that you want to make about things you know all of these overtures that people are trying to make beat them on the field and then we'll have a conversation like like we don't i don't why, why, why are we even having this conversation about how you feel about what we're doing how about you figure out how to be better at football and then let's have a different conversation it's much easier to do that it's um just as an Auburn fan, it is just ridiculous to see people complaining about SEC strength of schedule. I can't speak to what Arkansas does, and I, but yeah, like I just, I'm just, I'm just not trying to hear that because I've seen us outside of conference schedule Oregon to start a season off, schedule a quality Washington program to start a season off, go to Happy Valley when we didn't have to, a very quality James Franklin Ram program. Like I, I just. It's ridiculous. You know, we just don't have time for it. And to, like I said, to big game boomer brother, like you're about to find out. Like you're gonna have you're gonna have those draws. You're gonna have Alabama come to you, and then the next week you're gonna go to Tennessee, and then you'll get to see. And one thing that you will find out that you don't see every Saturday in the Big Twelve, little bit of defense, little bit of defense. <laughs> That's gonna get played, and I'm interested to see how Oklahoma reacts to such a thing. I don't think um, I don't think Oklahoma Texas quite. I mean, they're big-time programs. I don't want to throw shade. Oklahoma's one of the most successful programs in the history of college football. I understand all that. But, like, some of this talking down on the schedule was just like, man, you're going to hop in here and you're going to find out why that is to be. And then if you say a lot of these people are the same people that are complaining and talking about expansion, saying, well, the little guys will get left behind. Well, how do you think those little guys stay alive? It's that $2 million paycheck they come to take that ass whooping. And do you want those teams? Do you want that school to have baseball? Like it just it's it's a it's a trickle down effect that goes a long way. So that's an important thing to remember too. Talking about defense though, when you kind of spoke on it, uh, your guy Keontae Scott. I watched the interview, man. Coming into his second year, Blake hit on it. Super excited about the DB room. Just kind of where do you think Keontae is going to fit, and how excited are you for this DB room? Like, do you think it's the strongest unit on this team? Yeah, I mean, listen. Um... 
I think, yes, they are the strongest unit because they're the deepest. I think if you talk about like the relative ceiling to floor variation that you have in any room, I think that they have the highest floor and already a really high ceiling, right? I think that DJ James is potentially going to be one of the best defensive backs in college football next year. And there are two or three guys that I feel like are just a notch below him in that same room. So, right, like if you're talking about potentially a room that could have two or three All-Americans on it, right? Like, I don't know that they'll actually, you know, a, a lot of what dictates whether or not those guys are going to be All-Americans is how many times they actually get targeted during the game, number one. But number mm -hmm. two, how good the football team is overall, right? Like, if you've got a really good DB room and we're, like, shutting people out but still losing games because we only gave up, like, you know, 10 points but we scored three in that game, right? You're mm -hmm. still going to get your accolades. But if you're giving up, you know, 20 – 25 points, which is still a good defense, right? And most of it's on the ground and that kind of thing. But you end up having a six and six year. Nobody's going to think, oh, your de your defensive backfield's really good, right? So, like, a lot of it's relative. But I do think that we have two or three guys, you know, Keontae Scott being one of them in that star position, DJ James being one of them. And then I believe that there's going to be somebody who's going to emerge from that safety room who could be in that conversation for, you know, all SEC first or second team type of stuff, right? So, um, you know, I'm a really big fan of what the defensive backfield could be um, based upon the talent level I feel like we have and the the depth that we have of like there shouldn't be a huge drop off if somebody is hurt, suspended, uh, inactive for whatever reason there is. We've got enough guys in that room. I think that we could always be serviceable from our defensive backfield. How's that star position work? How, what are his responsibilities? Him be doing like some blitzes or what? Yeah, I mean it's 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 a it's a box safety like in in most uh so it's a hybrid safety linebacker, right? So mm -hmm. playing in the box a lot, uh coming on blitzes a lot, um a lot of responsibility about like uh kind of being an edge contained guy against the run, um but then, you know, a nickel cornerback type of guy against uh tight ends, uh, guarding against drag routes, stuff like that. Um so it is, it's just this hybrid role that they're going to end up being matched up with guys in the slot, tight ends and that sort of thing. Like a safety would be typically in a, you know, a five man uh, defensive backfield, uh, but they're going to be doing a lot of simulated pressure. So that star might come on a blitz and they'll drop the jack back and it's still only four guys that are rushing. Right. So they're going to be doing a lot of things that are going to be contingent upon that jack and that star. Um, being so multiple in that defense that offenses don't really know who's coming from where and what position. Um, and, and they need to be able to do a lot of things. Um, and so, uh, and I think Keontae Scott fits the mold of that, a guy who, who doesn't mind going in there, you know, sticking his nose in there, making a play against the run, but he can be in coverage. Um, he could be opportunistic when they're disguising coverages in certain ways. So I'm looking forward to seeing what he's able to produce from that position. Hmm. Yeah, I noticed in y'all's interview, he just seemed, and he had kind of mentioned it. He had mentioned just uh, one of the things that kind of made me chuckle was he said he was, it was so new to him coming from where he came from that he didn't even understand some of the lingo, some of the slang that was being said. He's like, I don't even know what those guys are saying. So I <laughs> yeah, think that'll right. be a big part of it too, man. It's just, it's just being more comfortable in this, you know, uh, in his second year at Auburn. And that's, that sounds pretty interesting, dude. I'll be, uh, it'd be fun to see just kind of where they use them and matching them up. And that's, it sounds like a big responsibility. So. Yeah, no, it's 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 a definitely a focal point of the defense, uh, how that star aligns and um, 
you get a lot of keys from what they're doing, what is going to be happening on the defensive side. So, uh, again, it's, it takes a, a, a special kind of player to really want to play that role. He showed me some tape of some of the guys that he was looking at um, to kind of that, that had played in that Ron Roberts defense before. And I was like, hey, man, if, 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 if you're going to be this guy, it's going to be scary out there. <laughs> Blake, you got anything, brother? Uh, Ike, I, I just wanted to ask you about Jair Shorter and, and Shane Hooks, man, and mm. just bringing those two guys in. What is it going to mean to this Auburn offense? And could Auburn get their first thousand yard wide receiver uh, this year? Um, I mean, uh, first in a very long time. Ronnie yeah. Daniels is the last guy that did it. Um, I mean, we've gotten close a couple of times since then, but I don't know. I, I think that they've got to figure out kind of what that run pass balance is going to be. If the run game is as good as we hope it's going to be, because we've got enough talent in that room to be really good, one through really five in that running back room, I think are guys who could start for most major programs around the country. And I mean, I am including Sean Jackson in that, right? Like I, mm. I don't, I don't know that he's necessarily a power five starter everywhere, but he could make the three deep in most power five schools. Cause he, I think he's that talented. Um, and he's like our fourth or fifth guy. Right. So um, that room is really good. Um, and if that is going to be good and Peyton Thorne is going to be the quarterback, and I, I specifically say Peyton Thorne because I've seen what he can do in a run-heavy offense where you know you've got to guard against a dynamic running attack, mm -hmm. him in play action is is deadly, right? Like he can put up three to 4,000 yards. And if you're going to have the quarterback throw for over 3,000 yards, it would make me feel like, one of those guys in that wide receiver room who's going to be the prime target could get over a thousand yards in that scenario. Um, and that's really been the biggest thing for Auburn. It's like when we've thrown the ball enough to have guys be in that range, our completion percentage was so anemic that it didn't really matter. Right. If you're going to throw the ball 40 times a game, but you're only going to complete 50, uh, 50% of those, it doesn't really matter that you're throwing it 40 times in the game. Uh, but if you're going to throw it 35 times in the game and you're telling me that guy's going to complete, 25 plus of those oh yeah we can we, we're going to have a conversation about somebody being a thousand yard receiver then well i bringing in these big time wide receivers big physical and and i always say that we know that's what coach hugh freeze loves is yeah. is those six four six five guys we see them all in the nfl uh that he produced out of liberty and Ole miss do you think bringing in guys like this out of the portal has any impact on a guy like a perry thompson or even a Ryan Williams uh, down here in Saraland, Alabama, uh, just to see those guys and, and Hugh make an attempt to spread the ball around, throw the ball down the field. And Alabama kind of – it's looking like, you know, they went Buckner and and uh, Tommy Reese with the Notre Dame offense are going to have those wide receivers now. Uh, could, could Hugh uh, have an impact on those recruits? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think you've got to put a product on the field that shows them this is what how I would see you. Right. Like so if you put Jair Shorter or Hooks out there on the field, they can see themselves in the prototype of that guy. Right. Like you you only had 
you know, they, you know, this, I, it, I always hesitate when I start to say this uh, because it feels like I'm crapping on the kid. You know, they wanted to do that with Nick Martyr and maybe he still gets an opportunity to do it. I just don't know that it materialized in the way that they thought it would during the um, spring. And so they wanted to bring some other guys in to compete. And you know what you're going to have in Camden Brown out there as a big body receiver. But they need two, three, now four of those guys out there on the field who can produce, again, for depth sake, to make sure we don't, if we lose one of our big receivers, we don't have to change the dynamic of what we do because I need to put a product on the field that looks similar to what I'm telling these young men as recruits. Hey, listen, man, I, I know you you thought that this was just a thing from that I was doing from back in the day. Hey, I got a I got an updated version of this to show you right here on film. This mm -hmm. could be you next year. Uh, so it's super important to be able to put that picture out there and guys understand mm -hmm. that it's not just theory. Like we're actually able to produce this on the field. Now picture yourself out there doing this very thing. Mm. Yeah. I, we're going to get Perry I, Thompson, I, fellas. Oh, I hope, I hope. Uh, Ike, I know Dustin wants to talk a little bit about some team chemistry. I know he had a question for you about that. And, and Dustin, I was kind of interested that in uh, myself also. So, <clears throat> yeah, I was just going to say, man, cause we had talked to, uh, we talked to Mike G about it a couple weeks ago. And uh, I know me and you have kind of messaged <clears throat> back and forth about it. I think it was uh, after the TJ TJ Finley interview, I just said, hey, man, I just don't like him not knowing some of those guys on the offensive line. Ultimately, he ended up transferring. But something you kind of said after you stuck out to me was you said, man, there's just a lot of new guys, and I don't know yeah. if they're coming together right now. And I've really been thinking on it. And uh, get your take on this. I, I think I, there's only so much coming together. And, Blake, I want your take as well. I think there's only so much coming together that they can do until you're in the fire. And what I mean by that is all you do everything right. You you wax, you mask, cool beans. But then you go out to Cal, and maybe maybe it's 17-17 to 17 in the second half. And, and maybe you guys have to come together in that moment facing a little adversity. And maybe then – you kind of look around at one another and say, okay, but, but it's going to have to be something like that. And also for our snake bit of program that we have right now, just haven't won anything big in a while. We're going to have to kind of get over that hump in a big game. There's going to be a big moment where we've got to make that play that we haven't made in five, six years. And we're just going to have to do it because until you do it, it it's that, oh shit, here we go again type feeling. Yeah. So just kind of like, what do you think? Do you agree with that? It's going to be just, there's only so much you can do until you get there. And how much is that a concern of yours now that we're kind of the team is now together and here we go into the summer? Yeah, I think a lot of the the chemistry that you have with camaraderie amongst guys is built during the summer, honestly, because that's the part where it becomes more voluntary and not coach driven. Um, and a lot of what you get from chemistry, like coaches coaches don't necessarily drive the culture. They set the culture, right? Like they determine this is right. what our parameters are going to be around the culture. And, and you can, you know, if, if I'm gonna go on this deep dive analogy type, like you can set the environment up of, you know, you know, this is the soil that we're going to do. And this is how I'm going to plant my stuff within this yard that I have in order for that growth to happen. Like you can't really make that like there's got to be some organic things that happen to actually make that growth happen. Like, again, you can you can prune stuff and you can get guys out of the way that are helping to stifle it. But either it's going to happen or it's not right. Like I have a backyard right now and I'm really going way far down this path and I apologize. But my backyard right now is uh, the community that we're built in. They brought the dirt in to our subdivision. Right. 
like it wasn't actual soil that grows anything. So it's really hard to cultivate true like grass growth in here. So I have to do way more stuff to it. Um, and bringing that back into the football team fold, like I think that there are things that environment wise you can do to help facilitate that. But a portion of that is really just got to be the kids going in there and doing the work. Right. And so hopefully over the summer and just from reports that I'm already getting from some of them, they're actually starting to do a lot of that work right now because uh, they just really got back on campus and they're starting the summer workout program. But a lot of that is going to happen right now during the summer. But to your point, it can look really good until the first something hits it. And then you're like, OK, yeah, that wasn't as as nice as we thought it was going to be. It looks nice. You know, you can take a picture of it and look good for the picture. But let's try it by something and see what it's going to happen. Right. And how well did I really build this? That's going to come in the fire of those moments during the season for sure. Ike, I wanted to ask you real quick, man, uh, how 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 much is this quarterback battle going to drive both of these guys, Peyton Thorne and Robbie Ashford and whoever wins this battle? Uh, are, are are the guys going to buy in 100% to one or the other? Uh, or, or, you know, is the guy who loses the battle, is he going to buy in to helping the guy who wins it prepare each weekend? Uh, and, and how is that going to work out in your opinion? Yeah, I think that's, uh, that's yet to be seen, right? Um, I think that the players are going to buy in to whoever wins that battle if it's a true competition, right? Like, I don't think that there's any way that a true competition could exist between the young men that are in that quarterback room and someone come out of that as the champion of that competition and you don't get the players to say, oh, they earned that, right? Because mm -hmm. in my opinion, Peyton Thorne is a guy who's ready to start right now, right? Based mm -hmm. upon what we've already seen him do on the field, he's ready to start right now. So if Robbie Ashford or Holden Gurner come in and win that job, mm -hmm. they are prepared to, to play. There's no there's no way you usurp a guy who has had that many starts and has played serviceably. I mean, he's not a Heisman candidate by any means, but serviceably at a power five level like Peyton Thorne. If you're going to usurp that guy and win that competition, you earned that. And there's no it shouldn't even be a debate that he that whoever wins that competition deserves it because you know that you have somebody who can go out and start right now in that room. Mm, love to hear that. Dustin, I know you had something. I know you had something about a draft. Uh, you had a draft question, or, or uh, so I know. I know it was one of them. No, things, yeah, I'm uh, sorry, guys. I got, I got back. I got, I got lag bad right there. I got really behind. I didn't hear anything I said for the last three minutes. Um, so, so <laughs> you're good. But uh, I just, I wanted to have like a fun question, and this comes up because I miss the shit out of football. So I'm at the point now where I'm watching old games, and I was watching um, 06 Florida the other day. And first off, one of the best Auburn crowds you're ever going to see. That place was bananas that night. Um, and it was fun to see Urban Meyer just kind of stand over there befuddled. But uh, it got me thinking, man. So here's the question. You can't, you can't use anybody that got drafted in the first round of that 05 draft. No JC, no Ronnie, no Caddy, no Carlos. Your favorite player from the Tuberville era. And I'll just give mine real quick. It's Quentin Groves. Because I love I love a pass yeah, rusher a that'll get after the QB. Quentin Gross was my guy. 
Yeah, I I mean, it's hard to not go with Quentin Gross from that team just because he was such a he was such a different like you don't there are very few uh, guys who just every time they step on the field, you expect them to go make a play. So you talked about this a minute ago about like we've just kind of been snake bitten about not being able to just go make mm-hmm. that play. Q was one of those dudes who just made that play consistently, bro. Like he was just going to come up in big moments and he was going to get the the big sack or he was going to get the big tackle or he was going to pass break. Like it was going to, you had to account for him in big moments because he was determined to make that kind of, I just, I, you, you don't just get the mold of Quentin Groves just walking on everybody's campus all the time. So it's hard to not go with him in that situation. Um, I'm a big uh, believer that if you have an, a guy like that, where like the gravity of the de- defense tilts in that direction, um, your defense just is is infinitely better, right? And if it's a guy who is a pass rusher, especially in this league where they're 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 tossing it around so much, um, man, like if if we have a, a Quentin Groves that emerges on this defense, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna be the worst homer in the world about. Like, let me see somebody coming off of that edge. The kid from App State, the uh, the McLeod kid, right? Mm-hmm. Let me see him go out there and do what he did yeah. against Texas A and M, like the first couple of games of the season. And I'm gonna be insufferable because I'm gonna be like, "Oh, y'all, we we're gonna beat everybody. <laughs> I don't care who you're gonna beat everybody." Because I, it just it makes playing defense so much better when you know third and six mm-hmm. or more. They got to get the ball out of their hands because that dude's coming, man. Or you got to double team him. And now, you know, whoever you've got lined up in the middle is soloed and they're going to go in there and eat. So you get that guy playing at that level consistently. Defense is. It's going to be it's going to be special, but we haven't really had that guy. Right. Like as much as I love Derek Hall, he wasn't that right. Like Mm -hmm. as much as I love. Kobe wouldn't he wasn't that like mm-hmm. they would show up every now and then in those moments but I'm talking about flashing on your screen every single game third and long that guy is being a menace L- let us get a Quentin Gross <laughs> SEC yeah. teams are going to hate to see us coming up on their schedule for sure yeah 100% alright let me ask you one more real real quick before we let you get out of here I got to know about my dude, Jalen Simpson, man. Mm. Uh, is this his year to finally – I know I know. late last year he made the transition uh, to safety, but is this his year to really break out in that spot for the secondary? Yeah, I mean, he's one of those guys who I mentioned, like, in the safety room. Like, I, I like Donovan Kaufman back there, and Jalen Simpson's the other guy I think that can be special in that safety room who could be, you know, maybe a first, second team All-SEC type of performer because mm-hmm. – he doesn't miss tackles a lot, right? Like he takes good angles. And when he gets there, he gets the guy to the ground. He's got more speed than people give him credit for. I talked to guys on that team who talk about how fast Jalen Simpson actually is. He has more speed than, and he's got good ball skills, man. Like he, you know, he's come up with some timely interceptions for this defense over the last few years. Jalen Simpson could be as he kind of blossoms into that safety. Cause you know, again, he safety isn't the position that he normally plays. He's usually playing an outside or slot corner, right? So you move him back there, let him patrol the backfield with the speed that he has, with the ball skills that he has and his ability to tackle in space. Yeah. Jalen Simpson could absolutely have a monstrous year being in that role from the very beginning of the season and a guy that they trust to do that. 
could be a really big year for for Jalen Simpson. Um, so a, a lot of high expectations from me for that young man coming into this season. Well, Ike, we really appreciate you joining us tonight. I know before we get out of here, I want you to plug your show, and I just want to thank you for helping uh, myself and Dustin out and and just coming on to talk Auburn athletics, uh, baseball, football, basketball, softball, whatever it is, man. We really appreciate you guys over at the War Report. Yeah, man, I appreciate you guys for for having me on here, having the conversation, man. I, I love talking about Auburn sports, so more opportunities I get to do that, the better my day is. But yeah, we're the war report on everything, man. So check us out on all the social media platforms. Uh, you can follow me at TWR Ike Jones on Twitter and uh, yeah, let's talk more sports and let's go out here and have some more things that we can make people mad at us about. Cause we're bragging too much. Love it. Ike, man, we, we will, uh, we will definitely get you back on. Uh, it's always a blast to have you on here. And with that being said, we're going to wrap this one up. We're going to leave you with a war damn eagle, and we will catch you on the next one. We're out. Peace.